On January 6th each year, the Christian church celebrates the day of the Epiphany. Now that falls on a Thursday this year, I guess, 12 days after Christmas. And so we are marking the day of Epiphany here in our worship on this first Sunday of the new year. Epiphany, as we will hear shortly, is the story of those wise men. We sometimes conflate their journey as happening on the very night Christ was born, but it is presented to us in a different fashion in the scriptures where the wise men come later and they bow down and worship at the cradle of the newborn Jesus and offer their gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And so we are invited now to listen once again for God's word as we hear that story which is told to us in Matthew's gospel, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. Let us listen once more for God's word. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, they came to Jerusalem and they asked the king, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child, and as soon as you find him, report back to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, the Magi went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose, it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, set your star high above us now. That through its faint light and through the movement of your spirit, this ancient story from an old would, would speak something fresh, something alive, something new for our living and for our lives today. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that your spirit would stir in our hearts as a gift and that through its work, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of these hearts gathered here today would be glorifying and pleasing to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
So I want us to sit for a moment on this day when we mark the epiphany. I want us to sit for a moment with Herod. I know Herod is not exactly our favorite or preferred character in the Epiphany story. What about the Magi? What about the child? What about the star, we ask? What about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh? Surely there's plenty of ground for a sermon to plow in those places. And perhaps, perhaps you're right. But for at least the next few minutes, I want us to consider the possibility, the possibility that the person in this story who we have the most in common with is Herod. You know, I first started thinking about this last month at our live nativity. For those of you who are new to our church, the live nativity is a tradition of our congregation dating back to 1963, I think, where each year for two nights, young people in our church, children and youth now, they help to enact the Christmas story, the telling of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a ministry to our community. Hundreds of people come out and enjoy watching as the children lead us through that story as it's narrated over loudspeakers, both in word and in music. What you might not know, though, is behind the scenes each year at live nativity time, it's a heavy dose of chaos. Annie is the ringleader, Frida is in strong support, and others fill in where we can, but Every year, we kind of wait and see which kids are going to show up and which don't. And the ones that we do, we throw costumes on and we click quickly go through all of the cues. All right, shepherds, you're going to go here first, then there, and then you go back here. Angels, you're going to put your hands up at this song, but when the other song starts, you bring them down, and then that song, you come on back behind the manger, okay? Now, wise men, don't walk too fast, but listen, don't, don't walk too slow either. Now, there are two showings, so we shuffle everyone out the door, they do their thing, and then we quickly shuffle them back inside, and we shove food in their mouths, and then we send them back out for a second helping. It's chaos, which may help explain why I've always found it somewhat ironic that one of the most popular characters, particularly for our, young, our older, rather, teenagers, is the person of Herod. Think about that. In a Christian church's retelling of the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace, one of the most sought-after roles is Herod. When you think about it, it kind of makes sense because where all the other characters have movements and need to know their cues, Herod just kind of gets to sit out there on the front lawn in his chair or her chair. Their only role is to wait for the light to come on and the voice over the loudspeakers to say that Herod brought the Magi to him secretly and then sent them on their way to Bethlehem because that's their cue for their one role, which is to point towards the manger. Now, one can make a compelling case for Mary and Joseph being an easier role, but I contend that Mary and Joseph actually have to stand for part and bend over and put the baby Jesus into the manger. Herod just sits there and gets to be essentially the center of his or her own little universe. Which, as I thought about it more in the weeks since, seems to be a good way to describe the real life Herod as well. A man who lived at the center of his own 
little universe. And who can blame him? He was rich. He was powerful. I mean, he had an army at his disposal. He lived in a big palace in an important city. Whenever he and his entourage moved down the street, many of their subjects would cower into the shadows of doorways with something like fear on their faces. When he pointed, people did his bidding. When he called the chief priests and the teachers of the law, guess what? They came a-running. Herod lived in the center of his own universe. But you know how to get someone in authority to show their true colors? Do you know what you have to say or do? All you have to do is tell them that they're not the center of the universe. And then suddenly, they show their true colors. And boy, oh boy, does Herod show his true colors. We can almost see the little muscles in his cheeks flexing as those magi show up in his palace and they say to him, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship, oh, not you, Herod, no, we've come to worship him. The one way to get someone in authority to show their true colors is to tell them that they are not the center of the universe. Oh, is that right, Herod says. You've come to worship who? Oh, him. Um, yeah, why don't you go find him and then come back and tell me because I'd like to worship him too. If you read a little bit further in chapter 2, in fact, we see exactly what Herod and his true colors are capable of. Just a few verses beyond where we stopped this morning. We read the story of the murder of the innocent where when those magi fail to return per Herod's instructions, he instructs his army to kill any child in Bethlehem under the age of two. That's what happens when you tell Herod he's not the center of the universe. Now listen, I'm not trying to suggest here on the first Sunday of a new year when so many of us are trying to get off on the right foot that you or we together are all these narcissistic homicidal maniacs. But I do think that it's true that there is a little bit of Herod in each of us. I do think it's true that there is a place within each of our hearts that desperately wants to hold on to the belief that we, are the center of the universe. I remember reading a blog post that a sociologist put up once where almost on a whim as a side project, he decided that he was going to watch his social media feed for a whole week and he was going to categorize every post that came through that feed from his friends into one of two categories. The first category that he came up with was other-centered. Posts that fit into the other-centered category were ones that posted about some value to others, such as new content or a fresh perspective or some other benefit to viewing the post that others would receive. Other-centered. The other category he came up with, you might guess then, was self-centered. 
These were posts that were defined either by a selfie or an image or a description of the individual doing the posting consumed in some activity that was all about themselves. He did this for a whole week, just as a little side project. And guess what his results showed at the end of those seven days? 85% of the posts that came across his social media feed. And listen, these aren't young millennials either. This is someone well into their middle age. 85% of the posts that came across his feed were self-centered. Maybe there's a bigger piece in each of us than we're willing to admit that wants to believe that we are the center of the universe. But there's another funny thing about this story that occurred to me this week, which is that Herod really doesn't even need to be in the story. Here are these magi, whether they come from Arabia or somewhere else, we don't really know, but they've come from a long way, and apparently their GPS and the star has functioned very well thus far to get them as far as they have, which is Jerusalem, which if you've been there is really just a stone's throw away from Bethlehem. They're practically there by the time they get to Jerusalem. By all accounts, nothing has gone wrong with their navigational system. And yet they choose to stop in Jerusalem. They choose to stop in this place that is governed by this person that they know is so fraught with danger. Why not just keep following the star the last little way to Bethlehem? You don't even need to let Herod know that you are there. And yet they do. Why do they stop in Jerusalem, I wonder to myself? On the one hand, I think there's, I guess, a narrative reason for them to stop. Because by them stopping, it sets up all the action that comes after. It sort of tees up Herod for everything we know will come in Jesus' life. But I also wondered if maybe there's not another reason. Maybe Matthew has the Magi stopping in Jerusalem and coming before Herod to show us that God God was still holding on to this sliver of hope for Herod. Maybe God was still hanging on to this sliver of hope that the Magi's presence would be the thing that finally shakes Herod off his throne. Maybe the Magi's presence, God hoped, would be the thing that finally convinces Herod to come down to lace up his shoes and to follow them for that last short leg. Not in this spirit of jealousy or anger, but rather in a spirit of curiosity and faith. Maybe the Magi choose to stop in Jerusalem to show us that God still hoped that there might be one more knee that bowed at the manger when they finally got to Jesus. Maybe God hoped that there would be one more set of eyes beholding the true colors of our creator. And friends, if ever there is someone who shows us the true colors of our God, it is Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we discover that God is one defined by compassion, 
forgiveness, humility, grace, love, humility. Those are the true colors of our creator. Maybe God was still holding out a sliver of hope that Herod's eyes would behold that hope. Maybe God still hoped that that star, that star in the night sky so long ago, it would mark the spot where one more hope and one more heart was transformed by the infinitely good news that there is a center of the universe, friends, and we are not it. Come to think of it, maybe God hopes the very same thing for all of us on this day, in this space, in this new year. Maybe God hopes the same thing for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.